Well, good morning, everyone. Um, whether you happen to be watching online or in the auditorium with us today, I'm really glad that you've made the effort to join us. It's good to see you. Uh, if you're our guest here this morning, uh, welcome here. Whether this is your first time or you've been here a few times, we're glad that you're with us. Whether you're uh, someone who's on your journey to faith and you're seeking God or whether you're well-established in the faith, you are, are welcome here. And we gather together each uh, weekend, each Sunday morning, because we have a few core beliefs. Some of those core beliefs is that, is that uh, it's good for God's people to gather to worship the only true God and living God. Another core belief is that we believe that when we open up God's Word, that the truth spills out, because God's Word is true. And we believe that not only are, are God's ways good, we believe that God's ways are best. And so my hope is that as we're here today, you would get that sense. And uh, where, wherever you're coming from, that somehow it has only the, the Holy Spirit of God can do, that he will somehow uh, bring a truth to you that you need to hear that would encourage you this morning. So if we haven't met yet, my name is Leighton, and I have the privilege of opening up God's Word for us this morning. And again, for those that are new to us, uh, we are working our way through a book of the Bible, as we often do. And right now, we're actually in the middle of a series to the book of 1 Timothy, which is one of the pastoral epistles written by the Apostle Paul. Now, we're calling our series How Stuff Works, because in this letter, Paul is going to give words of instruction and words of warning and words of encouragement to his young apprentice, Timothy, on how to lead a church. And this was, without doubt, something that, that Timothy was eager to receive because the church he was pastoring, which was the church in Ephesus, had some significant challenges. And those challenges um, revolved really around a group of false teachers who had infiltrated the church and began to spread these false, destructive uh, doctrines. This is something that Paul actually predicted would happen. When he was in his, on his last missionary journey, we read in Acts chapter 20 that, uh, that he met with the elders of Ephesus, and he warned them. He said, men from your own number would arise and distort the truth and draw disciples of the church away to follow them. And that's exactly what was happening here with Timothy, which is why Paul actually opens his letter rather abruptly in chapter 1 by giving Timothy a charge. And that charge says this, command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths or endless genealogies. Such things promote controversy, uh, controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work. Now, um, the reason I, I'm starting there this morning is because we're actually going to be on, on chapter 4 today. But you're going to find out very, very quickly that Paul is going to circle back and re-engage this, this um, theme of false teachers and their unsound doctrine. So that's why we're looking at that. Now, to, to understand these words in the proper context, we need, we need to actually go back and read the passage that Pastor Kel spoke from last week. Because, of course, in the, in the original writing of the Bible, there were no chapter divisions. And so, even though we won't move from chapter 3 to chapter 4, it's kind of one continuous thought for for Paul in this letter. And so uh, Paul's line of thinking is going to continue from chapter 3 at the end into chapter 4, and we need to pick that up. Now I want to give you, I uh, don't always do this, but I want to give you my outline this morning so that you can kind of see where we're going and kind of track with me along the way. And so the first thing we're going to look at is, is what the church needs to hold on to. 
that's from a quick review of what we looked at last week. And then we're going to move into this week's uh, passage, and we're going to look at what the church needs to reject. And then we're going to close off the, the service with uh, a look at the process God uses to mature us in our faith. Okay, so, so that's where we're, we're going this morning. So let's just jump right in because we have lots to go. So first thing, what the church needs to hold on to. Again, I'm not going to take very long at this point because we had a full sermon on, on it last week, but I do want to read verses 14 to 16 in chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, or you can look on the screen behind me, and this is what it says. Although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you these, thing, these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you'll know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God and the pillar and foundation of the truth. Beyond all questions, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, and was believed on in the world and was taken up in glory. Now, Paul ends chapter 3 by reminding Timothy what is most important and what we are to pursue with with all our heart and hold on to with all our strength. And that really is is simply the wonderful news about Jesus, or as we would say today, the the wonderful news of the gospel. And, and And Paul reminds Timothy a couple of key things, first of all, about the church. And he says that this church is God's household. It is the church of the living God, and it's the pillar and the foundation of the truth. All those things Pastor Cal talked about last week, so if you want more detail, just go back to our website and you can look at that sermon. And then what he does is he he really drives this this truth home or the truth about Jesus Christ home, and he quotes this, this beautiful ancient church creed or hymn that declares who Jesus is. Now, we don't use creeds as much as we maybe used to, but there are some creeds, of course, that we, we know well, like the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. So th- these are things that, that declare what is true about God or about Jesus Christ. And this, these, these verses here declare what the believers at that time knew about Jesus Christ. So it says, He, meaning Jesus, appeared in the flesh, that He was vindicated by the Spirit, that he was seen by the angels, that he was preached among the nations and believed on in the world and then taken up to to glory. And what Paul is saying is that it's this truth that we are to fight for. It's this truth that we're to hold on to with everything that we have, the gospel. That's really what it is, the gospel about Jesus Christ and who he is. But as, as we know, there is one who opposes God and the truth, and his name is Satan. And the Bible says that he is the father of lies, that he is the great deceiver, uh, whose stated mission is to steal, kill, and destroy. And, and this person, Satan, was, was active in the church in Ephesus. And that brings us to, to chapter 4, where we are this morning. You see, not only does Paul exhort Timothy to pursue and hold on to the truth of the gospel, he's going to warn Timothy about the false teachers who have infiltrated the church. And he really wants Timothy to do two things. He wants wants him to, to recognize the spiritual battle that's raging all around him. 
a battle that for the most part is unseen by our, our visible eyes, but it's, it's no doubt real. And then he wants Timothy to, to not only resist, but to re- reject the tactics or the strategies of the enemy. So let's look at these verses together. We're going to look at the first uh, five verses of chapter 4, then I'll just make some comments on them. So here's what it says. The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teaching comes through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God and by prayer. Okay, so one, one quick um, commentary on this passage, just to make sure we're on the same page. Um, the, the term later times re- refers to the time between Christ's resurrection, so that's oh, just over 2,000 years ago, and and, also, and then his, his return, or the second coming. And so that means when, when Paul says later times, uh, Timothy was in the later times, and the church today, so we are, are still in the later times as we await for Jesus Christ to return. It's an all-encompassing comment there. Now here's my first observation from this passage. And, and, it's, and it's a bit of a sobering, sad observation, to be honest. Uh, just as, as God uses people to grow and build his church, you know, so like he, he uses you in that process, he uses people like me as I get up and speak on Sundays, he uses Wes and Kel and others as, as they lead us, but as God chooses us and gifts us and uses us to build his church, Satan also uses people to destroy the church and to expand his kingdom. Now, I don't know if you've ever really pondered that, but um, what, what Timothy is really saying here is that, is that every lie that stands in opposition to the gospel is actually demonically fueled. And what that means is that behind every false teacher in a church, behind every cult leader who deceives people into following them, behind every and any world religion that does not proclaim Jesus as Lord is a satanic and demonic force. Now, that's a pretty shocking statement, and it's a very sobering statement, but it is the truth of the spiritual warfare around us. Even Paul adds to this in Ephesians chapter 6 when he writes to the church that Timothy is pastoring, and this is what he says in chapter 6, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and, author- and, and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You know, sometimes um, we forget this spiritual reality, don't we? And we view the challenges that face us, or for me as a church leader, face church leaders, or the challenges that face the church in Canada, or the persecution that the church is facing around the world, we view these things as, as flesh and blood battles with real people. You know, some could be as, as you know, just divisive, 
Sometimes they're political leaders making policies that go against the church or the things of God. Sometimes there are people that outright oppose Christianity and hate Christians. And when, when we view them as a battle in, in that realm, we tend not to like them. But when we see them and see it as a battle in the spiritual realm, fueled and directed by Satan and his demonic forces, we can have a bit of a change of heart. And Paul uh, knew these false teachers it would come from Satan himself through the deceitful spirits. And because of them, some would abandon their faith. And because of them, some would follow these false teachers in their doctrines and be deceived. But as they're deceived, they're actually victims of the enemy. And so I say that because I want us to have a soft heart towards people that are rejecting the faith right now. I want us to have a soft heart towards the people that are rebelling or teaching wrong things. And rather than seeing them as the enemy, can we not see them as being caught up in the spiritual battle? And can we not, not engage in battle for them and begin to pray for them that they might return to the truth and have their eyes opened again? And again, I say that because there are people who you know and who I know who fall into that category, who I love and who you love. And I don't want to see them written off because they're going astray, but I want to see them come back into this wonderful relationship with Jesus Christ. Second observation. Um, the lies and deceptive teaching of Satan and his deceitful spirits find their way into the church to people whose consciences have been seared. So what does it mean to have our, our conscience seared? Well, simply, it, it means that, that our consciences have lost their feeling, have lost their ability to feel. So they no longer feel guilt. And by the way, uh, every time you feel convicted about something, you should thank God that your conscience is not seared. That, that he's still active in your life and he wants you to turn and repent to him. That's a gift from God. Or they no longer feel the promptings and conviction of God's spirit. So Tamara asked us to pray today. She said, would you just pause and, and ask God, God, what do you want me to hear me hear from you? Well, a person with a seared conscience doesn't hear anything because they've lost the sense of, of God interacting with them. And a person with, with a seared conscience sometimes has, has lost the ability to, to know the difference between right and wrong. Another way that the Bible describes this condition is that of a hardened heart, where people have become so dull by repeatedly violating God's moral law and so deceived by the lies of the devil that they no longer even recognize how far away they are from God. So it's possible for for someone to think that they're on the right path because they've been so deceived for so long that they don't even recognize how far they've drifted away from God. And that's called a seared conscience. And because of this seared conscience, and because of this hardened heart, they are susceptible to the ways of Satan. And they are willing to follow his bidding and be used as pawns in this spiritual war that is invisible but very, very real. And so, once again, I, I just say to us as a congregation, we need to guard against our hearts becoming hardened. We need to, to guard against our, heart, our conscience being seared. Because when we get to that point, we're in a dangerous place. Not only personally and spiritually, but to the point where, where Satan might try and use you to bring destruction to, to 
his church or to God's church. So that's the second observation. Third observation from this passage, these verses. And that is just simply this. At the core, um, all false teachers ultimately deny God's word. That's at the core of every false teacher. Now, I'm going to have to work to prove this to you from this verse, because in verse 3 it says, they forbid people to marry and they order them to abstain from certain foods. This teaching was, in verse 3, is almost certainly coming from a group of people that were emerging at that time called the Gnostics. And that's formed a religion called Gnosticism. And Gnostic is taken from the word gnosis, which means knowledge. And so this is how they would view themselves. They, Gnostics thought they were the, smart, the smartest people in the room. <laughs> they, they just felt that they had more insight or understanding than anyone else, and they knew what was best. And they claimed to have special knowledge from God. And, and the core of their belief was, was this, that they believed that, that one's spirit, so the, the, the thing in us, our soul that would live on past our body dying, that the spirit was, was ultimately good, but the flesh or the world, the physical world, was actually evil. Which meant then in their logic that, that anything done for, for the body's pleasure to fulfill its needs was evil, like the pleasures of marriage, or like enjoying a good meal from time to time. That was considered uh, evil because it was, it was um, enhancing your own physical body. And they would actually teach that, that to achieve a higher spiritual state, you had to deny yourself all the evils of the world. And that actually uh, sounded spiritual to some people because in that day you had the, the Judaism, uh, Judaists who, who they were used to these stringent rules and so they thought, wow, it's more rules to follow that we can be better, so let's, let's do that. So they were led astray with that. And Paul reminds them, uh, Paul reminds Timothy in verse 4 that, that this, is a, this is a wrong teaching, this is a false doctrine. He says, for everything God created is good. In other words, God creates all things. God created all things. And he designed things like marriage for us. And his intent has always been, from the beginning of Genesis right till now, for us to enjoy his creation and to thank him for it. And so again, I say to us, let's not abandon the faith and follow deceiving teachings. Let's not become hypocritical in our actions or let our heart grow hard or conscience seared, and let's not settle for imitating for something that's, that's only an a imitation of the truth, not the real thing. Rather, let's, let's walk in God's truth and be sensitive to God's spirit and enjoy God's creation with thanksgiving. Okay, point number three. And I'm making good time, but don't fear, this is the longest one of all of them, okay? Okay. Um, and that is the process God uses to mature our faith in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 to 11. Let me read the scripture again for us. It says this, um, If you point out these things, if you point these things out to our brothers, the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths or old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly, for physical training has, is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. And this is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor 
and we strive because we have put our hope in the living God who is the Savior of all people and especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. So, verse 6, point out these things. What are these things? Well, I think these things are really my outline. Uh, what we need to hold on to with all our heart and strength, which is the gospel or the good news of Jesus. He actually adds one here in this verse. He talks about the good teaching we're supposed to hold on to, and that good teaching nourishes our soul. We're supposed to, uh, what we are to resist with all our might is another thing we're supposed to point out to these people. And that was, of course, the false teachers with their deceitful, deceptive, and destructive teaching. But then he adds a couple things here, too. The distractions that pull us away from our main purpose. And he, he talks about two distractions mainly, which is godless myths and old wives' tales. Now, I'm not picking on, on old wives here today, just in case you're wondering, so don't, don't get mad at me or throw anything at me. But, but let me just, I'm sure you've heard of this phrase, but just let me just quiz you to see if you really have or not. Uh, so old wives' tales are things that have been passed down from your mom and their mom to us so that we tend to know them. So here, I want to test you on this. Just end the phrase for me, okay? Don't swallow your gum. It will stay in your stomach for the rest of your life. I heard seven. I never heard that one before. That's a new one. Okay, so it's actually, I've heard seven years. How many people have, have concurred with that one? Sure. Okay. Uh, don't drink coffee. It will stunt your growth. Okay? That's a lie. And so is the gum thing. Your, your digestive system works better than that. Okay, here's another one. Don't sit too close to the television. It will... Ruin your eyes. Yeah. Okay. No, it won't. <laughs> uh, how about this one? Don't swim after you eat or you'll... <laughs> okay. How many people have sw swam after they've eaten? Okay, and you're here today. Are you resurrected or just lucky? I'm not sure. Okay, so no, it's not a true, it's not a true thing. Uh, one last one. Don't crack your knuckles. It will give you... <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if it does or not. So, no, that, that's, a, that's a false thing. So, uh, what he's saying here is this. These things, like old wives' tales or godless myths, they might be interesting, they might be funny, they might be, you know, intriguing to you, but they're actually a, a waste of your time. And yet here we are, uh, 2,000 years later, and... In my view, we still get distracted by way too much by things that don't matter at all. You know, things like uh, small doctrinal matters that we argue over, or things like uh, politics, or some world events, or our own version of godless myths, which I would, you know, call conspiracy theories or whatever, right? We can get wrapped up in them. It's, it's okay to look at things. It's okay to try and understand them, but, but to sink so deep into them that they take up all their time is pulling us away from what God wants us to do and be. Do you understand that? So he says, have nothing to do with godless myths or old wives' tales, and this is the key. Rather, train yourselves to be godly. So what does it mean to train ourselves to be godly? Well, it means to invest in the right truth and teaching. It means to invest in the right actions because the things we do 
either add to or take away from our walk with God and our godliness. And what our hope is is that over time, that the product in our lives the people will see is going to be godliness. Now, the challenge for us is that it doesn't happen overnight, right? It's, it's like the little kid that thinks they're never growing until grandma comes and sees them, uh, you know, a year later or six months later, and go, oh, my, you've grown. Because they can't see the growth, but they've actually done that. Now, I want to point something else out to you here that I think is a really key concept for us. I want you to notice that Paul doesn't say try to be godly. He calls us, what he calls us to is training, not trying. And there's a big difference between those two things. So let me ask you a question. Uh, how many of you today, without training, could run a marathon tomorrow if there was one in Saskatoon? Just put up your hand. By the way, marathon is 26.2 miles. Easy peasy, right? Okay, so, so probably, you know, no one here. Um, now, let me change that. What happens if you're really competitive? So you absolutely hate losing. Would you be able to run that marathon tomorrow? No, even the most competitive person in this room without training would not be able to run the marathon. What, what happened if you're really determined and you always, you know, put everything you have into something? Would you be able to cross that finish line and run that 26.2 miles? And again, the answer is no, because no matter how hard you try, if you haven't trained for the marathon and built up some endurance, you're not going to wake up one morning and think, I'm going to run 26.2 miles today. It's just not going to happen. We need to train. Now, I know some of you that actually have, how many people have run a marathon here? Just for real. Okay. Only one person in this. We need to get in better shape as a church. <laughs> okay. Even the first service I thought was bad, and they had, we had about three or four there. So, well, but when you run a marathon, I know of people that have run marathons. They, they didn't start off their training by running 26.2 miles the first day. They started off by running a half mile, or maybe, for me, like halfway around the block or whatever, right? And then they built it up, and then the next week they ran a mile, and then two miles, and then three miles, until they built up their endurance so that they could actually reach their goal. And we understand this in the physical realm, uh, but the same is true also in the spiritual realm. We know that in the physical realm, that if we train consistently and effectively, we can condition our physical bodies to accomplish the work that we want it to do. And the same is true in our spiritual training. Except the goal of spiritual training is not running a marathon, it's what? It's godliness. That, that's what Paul says here. And the godliness is not just for our good, it's also for the good of others. And so he's saying that you and I can train ourselves, no matter who we are, to be godly so that we can accomplish the work that God wants to do in us, and so we can accomplish the work that we ultimately long to do as well. Now Paul continues in verse 8. He says this, For physical training is of some value. Now, again, I want to ask, how, how many people do we have that have a gym membership here in this, in this room? Okay, a few more. There we go. We've redeemed Ebenezer. That's, that's good. Okay, so a few more people. How many people have some fitness equipment at home? Yeah. How many people have laundry in the fitness equipment? <laughs> uh, yeah, a few of us. Okay. Uh, so I actually looked up to see, like, how big is this fitness industry in Canada? And what I discovered is that in 2022, the health and wellness market in Canada was, was worth... $20.6 billion. 
and there are 13,488 gyms in, 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 uh, in, in Canada. That seemed low to me, actually, but whatever. Um, and then when you include the whole, the whole fitness kick, so the, the at-home equipment, that uh, in 2021 it was $160 billion. That was the revenue. And they're estimating it's going to grow within the next couple of years to $434 million, billion. That's a lot of shekels, right? That, that's a lot of money. So if you're looking for a new job, I would consider the fitness industry. It seems like it's a, a good place to look. Now, if you have a, a gym membership, um, and if you've invested or you invested in weights, you know, that's great. And there certainly is some value in you looking after yourself and keeping yourself healthy. But what Paul's saying here is, even though that's good, don't neglect your spiritual training. Because uh, Paul says your physical training only yields temporary benefits, but godliness, which is the end result of spiritual training, has value for all things. And has, including holding the promise of both the present life and the life to come. So physically, we, we train because we want to stay in shape. We might want to keep our weight down. We want to look good and feel good. We want our heart to be healthy or our body to be healthy so we can enjoy and do the activities we want to do. And so, uh, and we train spiritually day in and day out for the ultimate goal of godliness. But sometimes, though, what happens is, is we quit our training regimen too quickly. And that's true with both the physical training and also the spiritual training because we, we want things to happen quicker than they do, right? So, for example, you know, if you want to drop 30 pounds, you know, going to the gym for one day is probably not going to do it. If you want to add 10 inches to your biceps, you know, probably going to the gym for a half a day or an afternoon is, is probably not going to bring that result about. But over time, if you kept at it, you would be able to see some of those results. And likewise, that is true with our spiritual life. We don't gain godly character by occasionally attending a weekend service or by opening our Bible once a month or so just to see if, it, if it's still there. The challenge, though, for the, the spiritual realm is that um, it's hard to know what the end game is, right? Physically, I can say I want to run a marathon or I want to do things, but we can't always see those things in the spiritual realm. So I think some of us here might be sitting here thinking, well, why would I train? I don't even like training. I, why would I read my Bible every day or, or pray every day? I'm still going to heaven. I love Jesus. Like, what more is there? And so there's kind of a, this demotivation for training because we don't understand what God wants to do with it. But the Bible tells us that there are benefits to godliness, both in this life and in the life to come. Now, in some ways, it's actually easier to, to think about the life to come, right? To think about one day when we will be with Jesus forever in eternity, where we'll be enjoying the presence of God, the Father, we'll be, we'll be in a place where there's no more sin, uh, where there's no more sickness, and where the atmosphere just, just resounds with praise. Like, that actually sounds appealing to us, especially if life on earth here is a little bit tougher. What's harder to kind of put our minds around is one of the benefits of this godly training in the here and now. And there are lots of them. Let me just give you a few just to let you think. So one of them would be um, abundant life with Christ. That when we train ourselves to be godly, we learn more about what it means to have life to the full that Jesus talked about in John 10. What about um, ongoing freedom from sin? 
I just talked to someone this morning, and they were sharing about someone in their life who was just, just captured and, and, and just held bondage by a sin in their life. And that's, that's a draining, depressing place to be. But when we train ourselves to be godly, we begin to overcome some of those sins because the Spirit of God takes greater root in our lives. We can experience joy. David writes in Psalm 16, you, you make known to me your path of life. You will fill me with joy in your very presence, your eternal pleasures at your right hand. So he's saying, God, I, I want you to fill me with joy. And, and what is our strength? It's the joy of the Lord that's our strength. Right? So if you want strength in your life, then you need joy. Here's one. Uh, godly character helps us bear spiritual fruit in our lives. This is the, the passage is fairly well known in Second, uh, Second Peter, you know, where it says, add to your faith goodness and goodness knowledge, knowledge self-control, self-control perseverance, perseverance godliness, and so on. And it says then, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from becoming ineffective. Right? So that helps us bear spiritual fruit in life when we take time to be godly. And then it will help us from falling away from the faith. And later on in that same passage, it says, for if you do these things, you will never fall. You know, wouldn't it be great for us to know that, that we train ourselves to be godly so Satan's attacks are not going to damage us or knock us out? Or we help our kids or our family train themselves to be godly and so we, we're confident that, God, that Satan's not going to be, be able to knock them out? And the final thing, benefit, is um, our effective witness. Is a is that our godly character reveals Christ to others. The way we live our lives, the way we handle our suffering, the way we deal with disappointment and frustrations, the way we love and care for marginalized and hurting people in this world, that, 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 that influences how our impact on them, and it begins to show them who Jesus Christ is in our life. So here's my question for you this morning. It's one that I actually want you, want you to answer, but um, what are you doing right now to train yourself to be godly? If I were to pull you aside and say, tell me about your training regiment, would you be able to answer me, or you look at me like, man, I'm, I'm not very active in this right now? So I think that everyone has, in this room, has a starting point or a next step. And so what I want you to do by the time the service is done is I want you to think about what's your starting point or what's your next step going to be to begin to train yourself to be godly. Now, what I've done for this morning is, is I've, I've asked a few people who I know in my life who, who are training themselves to be godly. Now, they haven't arrived yet. They'd be the first to admit that. They were all shy to come on, on the video for me. But I, I knew enough about them to say, you're at least in a training process that God's using. And so I want to show you these videos, uh, this, this video, because I want you to get a, a taste of what it's like to, to go into training. And, I want to, and there's some great ideas that come out here that you might think, hey, I've never thought of that before, and this is a way that I can enter into training, even if you're super busy in your life. Okay, so just take a look at the video behind me. Hi everyone, I'm Brandon Bellows. As I was thinking about this, I think there are three main areas that I try to be disciplined in. So the first one is studying the Bible. And 
I do love learning about God, and I feel close to him when I'm doing that. So in the mornings, I try to have sort of a more systematic reading where I'm going through the Bible. And then usually a few other times each week, either in the evenings or on the weekends, I try to do some other sort of studying too. And I try really hard when I'm doing that, if I have some free time, to make that the first thing I do. Because I know that's when I'm most engaged, and I can give God my best by doing it that way. The second thing is, I find it really important to be a part of Christian community. So I come on Sunday mornings to the service here. Uh, there's the CNC group on Thursday nights. I have a weekly Bible study and some other things I do. And I found that whatever is normal for the people around us, that very quickly becomes normal for us as well. And since most of the day I'm with people at work or university who it's not normal for them to follow God, I really try to prioritize being with my friends who are following God so that we can do that together and so that does become normal in my life as well. And then third, and this is really important, I try to be intentional with praying. And I pray throughout the week, but also I have a longer period of, of prayer each week too. And that's really important because uh, often that's where a lot of these other disciplines really connect to the other things I'm doing in my life. And often that's when I spend time with God in, and he shows me what he's doing in the other parts of my life and also what he wants me to go into as well. So I would say, uh, as I'm trying to be disciplined, those three areas, studying the Bible, being with other Christians, praying, are really important. Hi, I'm Brenda Erickson. I've enjoyed being part of Alpha on several occasions. Uh, during one of our Alpha sessions a few years ago, someone recommended the Bible in One Year app from Nikki Gumbel, the pastor who created Alpha. Ever since then, I've listened to the Bible in One Year on my way to work every day. Every day there is a psalm or proverb, a portion from the New Testament and the Old Testament, along with the devotional from Nikki Gumbel. I consider this a chance to redeem the time that it takes for me to drive to Warman every, every morning. When I get home at the end of the day, I try to reread the scriptures and take notes. And I'm using the format that was recommended at the Hearing God seminar, which includes articulating the message, um, considering obedience, repentance, and listing prayer requests. I really thrive on structure, so this has been a really good practice for me. Well, good morning, everyone. This is just Pastor Wes here. Uh, Pastor Layton asked me to share on uh, just on some of my spiritual rhythms. I have here um, my kind of my liturgy of prayer that I, I aim to do on a regular basis. Um, I developed this liturgy of prayer uh, a number of years before I was in pastoral ministry. And basically I, I aim to do it uh, as a, a daily rhythm, a daily focus uh, when I get up in the morning. Uh, we aim to be up, my wife and I, we aim to be up and awake before our children get up so that we can have some quiet, uninterrupted time uh, with God in prayer and in the Word. Uh, that's our aim and our focus. Maybe it doesn't always happen exactly, but our aim is not to be perfect, but to be consistent. And so uh, this liturgy of prayer is based upon the Lord's Prayer. And basically what I do is I just take each line of the Lord's Prayer and I, I use it as a jumping off point into a further prayer. So for example, our Father in Heaven, I take time then just to pray that, but then I also just 
take time to sit and reflect on the love of God towards me as my father and just to receive his love towards me as a good dad in my life and then goes on to hallowed be your name and at that point I take time to pray you know God would you be honored through every facet of my life today would would everything that I do in my thoughts in my words in my treatment of other people may it honor and bring glory to your name um, then you know may your kingdom come and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven I take time and I pray specific things for my family I pray specific things for our church for our city for our nation and then I use that time to to meditate on the scriptures of what I might be going through and so these are just some of the ways that I I seek to grow in my relationship with God and, and like our passage says, to, to train ourselves to be godly. So thanks for the opportunity to share that with you this morning. Hi, my name is Anna and like many of you, my life is full. I am a wife, a mom of two young boys, and I work outside the home. So finding time for anything is a challenge. When I saw a Facebook post from a friend describing a spiritual discipline she was finding very helpful, I thought I'd give it a try, and I recruited my good friend Reagan to join me in a commitment to read the Bible daily. Reagan used to attend Ebenezer while she was at the U of S, but has since moved back to Alberta. This has been such an amazing way to stay connected and to keep each other accountable in our walk with the Lord. I am by no means an expert in the area of spiritual disciplines. In fact, I need and rely on the accountability of Reagan to do this every day, but it's been so rewarding and so encouraging. We began this journey together this past September and are reading the Bible chronologically using a reading plan called The Bible Recap by Tara Lee Cobble. You can find the plan on the YouVersion Bible app on your phone. And the great thing about this reading plan is that there's a five to 10 minute podcast episode to go with it every day. And when you do this with a friend, which I highly recommend, there's a way to add them to the plan, which enables you to see if the other person has read the scripture for the day. For me, this is very motivating. There's also a little chat section where you can post comments about what you are learning or what has encouraged you. As I said, it's definitely the accountability piece that keeps me going. On the days I don't feel like reading my Bible, I'll look at the app and see that Reagan has already read the passage, and this inspires me to pick my Bible and stay on track. Another thing I really enjoy about this reading plan and the corresponding podcast is the brief devotional thought the author shares, which connects the scripture we have just read to the character of God. Every day she asks on the podcast, where did you see God today in your reading? This has really helped me to focus on who God is as I read the Bible, rather than just focusing on how it impacts me. It has also been nice having the author explain some sections of scripture, especially those harder books to read in the Old Testament, and tie them into the whole story of the Bible. So if you're looking for a way to energize your walk with God as you train yourself to be godly, I would highly recommend this reading plan and app. And for me, viewing the Bible as a whole and reading it as one story has been extremely helpful and, and insightful. So even though my life is busy and being disciplined in this can be a challenge, it is worth it. And it's the commitment and accountability to do this with a friend that has given me the discipline and encouragement I need to keep going. Okay, I hope you found those helpful. 
Um, it's just good to, to see, well, so what do other people do in this training process? I'm going to invite the worship team to come up on stage here just as I wrap up. And let me just make a couple of closing comments here. First of all, um, as you think about uh, training yourself to be godly, especially if you're brand new at this, um, let me just say that, that you cannot initiate the spiritual growth on your own. It begins with God, and God will bring it out to completion. And the reason I say that is because in Philippians 1.6 it says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So God always starts something, initiates that, and then he carries it out to the end, but somehow in the process he includes us. Second, as you saw in the videos, um, spiritual re training requires a plan. And whether that is the Bible in one year or a daily liturgy or whatever that plan is for you, you should have a plan if you're going to be successful in this. Third, uh, spiritual training works best when you have a rhythm. Uh, there should be a rhythm to what you're doing, not haphazard, whether that's early in the morning or on your way to work or at lunch hour. Spiritual training does involve discipline. So there is going to be a part for you to play in this. But as you do that, uh, God's going to bless that. And then, as the last person said, training is so much easier to do when you do it with others. You know, we, we have, there's something valuable about being part of the family of God and doing things with other people. And we have lots of on-ramps here. The Alpha Group is one. Life Groups, Moms Group, Young, and young Adults and Youth, uh, the Taste of Discipleship, Hearing God Seminar. All these are places where you can get involved with the community and start your training process. So that's, that's the, you know, the keys to it. And so I, I want to end with what I, where I, I said I was going to, and that is this. Every one of us here has a, has a starting place or a next step that we can, can do. And so I'm wondering, what is your next step or starting step going to be in terms of your training growth as you tra train to be godly? So um, my hope is that you will share it with your spouse or share it with someone else and just say, here's one thing I'm going to do. And then next week when you come back, you're going to see each other and say, hey, how did it go in that area? And maybe by God's grace, if we enter into a training regiment together, that God would use us to proclaim his name around the city and beyond and, the, and that we would bring glory to his name as individuals, as youth groups, CNC groups, and as a church family. Let me pray. So, Father, thank you so much for all that you've done for us. And thank you that you desire for us to be these godly people that would be trained in this godliness. And, God, um, this is your heart. This is your longing. And I'm glad it's about training and not trying. So would you speak to us? And would you um, put in our hearts our next step in this training process? And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.